month of August, and so we are starting a new theme, and the theme that we will be studying this month is the statement by Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, Jesus in the New Testament said seven times something starting with the I am, and this is one of his most famous things that he said, and it's so profound. So we're going to really over the next four Sundays break this down and really study it, meditate upon it, and uh, get all that we can about this because it's a very definitive statement. He, it doesn't leave no room for um, interpretation. Jesus is claiming to be unique. He's claiming he's not like any other religious character of history. He's not, he's not Buddha. He's not Confucius. He's not Muhammad. He is claiming that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to look at that, those statements and see what we can gather from them. It's found in, of course, John chapter 14 and verse 6. And that's a very famous chapter where he tells Philip that he is the father. He keeps talking about the father and Philip says, look, you keep talking about this father person, but who is he and where he is? And Jesus says, have I been so long time with you and you don't know who I am? If you have seen me, you have seen the father. Again, it's a mystery how he could be both, but the way I explain it is it's one of context, right? When my father was alive, and I was talking to him, I was in the context and I was in the role of son. When I'm talking to my children, I'm in the role of father. But that doesn't make me two people. It depends on the context and who we're talking to. So God in the Old Testament and creation took the role of the father. But in the church, he took the role, the context of son. And today he takes the role and the context of the Holy Spirit. But just as he told Philip, I and my father are one. Yeah. Amen. You're not going to see anyone different if you get to heaven. The Bible says that he is the express image of the invisible God. So the only image of God you're going to ever see is, of course, Jesus. Amen. But we're going to be looking at that. And this, this week we're going to take just that first thing that he said. He says that I am the way. We're going to take next week the statement that he is the truth. And the third week, the life. And then he, he makes this other statement that, you know, would probably upset a lot of other religions. But he says, no man comes to the Father but by me. And we think that that's just an analogy or just a statement. But in fact, if you were to study it, it is so literal. The Bible said when he arose, he led captivity captive. He released all of the righteous dead. Everyone who had died from Adam, the Bible said he released them. And he led them to heaven. So no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. There is no other way. So let's start as we normally do in Genesis because we're going to focus on that first word. He says, I am the way. What does that mean? He is the way. 
Well, in Genesis 3, 4, you know the story how Adam and Eve had sinned. They had disobeyed God. God had told them that they could eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they should not eat of it because the day that they did, they were going to surely die. Of course, uh, we discussed about last week, I believe, that Satan, of course, is a liar. And he said, no, you're not going to die. He was counting on, 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 on them not dying because he had his own purposes and plans. And we'll, we'll probably get into that on a Tuesday night study that I'll do. So because of their sin, because of what they did, God, in fact, had no choice. He didn't just do it because he thought, okay, that's a punishment. But in fact, they could not stay in the garden. Why could they not stay in the garden? What would happen to them if they stayed in the garden? Okay, they, that's one possibility we're going to look at. That The Bible says that one of the reasons he drove them out the garden is he did not now want them to live forever. But why was that? Why didn't he want them to live forever? Because they were in a fallen state. Well, let's really look at the two reasons that they had to leave. It wasn't even uh, much of a choice. If God loved them, he had to actually expel them from the garden. The real reason is God did not want them living forever in a body now that they could not control. You ever been to the, to the doctor and they're testing you and they tell you cross your legs and they take this rubber hammer and they tap you on the knee and what happens? If he does it at the right spot, your, your knee kicks out and you can't control it. That's exactly what the devil does to us. He takes his little hammer and he taps us in certain spots. And we do and say things that we didn't mean to do and afterwards we regret, but it's too late. You see, once Adam and Eve sinned, they gave up control of this fleshly body to Satan. And now if they lived forever, we would forever be trapped in a body of which we don't always have control. You know, it's very easy to get us angry, isn't it? You're all sitting there cool, cool calm, and collected. But I'm sure there's a hot button, there's a, a little kneecap somewhere. <laughs> if he finds the right spot with a little rubber hammer, you'll say something you regret or do something or give a look that you regret. You know, because we are not fully in control of this body. Now, you may say, well, pastor, prove it. Well, I will prove it. Let's go on. And the Lord said, behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand to take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the reason one was God, God did not want us now to live forever. It took me a while to get that, that Death was something God needed for, for us to experience because this body is no longer under our control. I used to think I didn't have an anger problem. For years, I really thought I had this. I thought I'd gotten over that. I really did. And it was for years, and I thought, hmm, I'm, I'm, I'm in control of this. And then an incident happened where someone got me really mad and and I found myself at the point of, you know, you know, get so angry that you want to start shaking because you're just trying to control. And I was so, I scared myself. <laughs> I scared myself because I was shocked that I could get so mad. 
but we are not totally in control. So God was actually providing a mercy because then we would have been eternally trapped in a body that was under Satan's dominion. And that's what he wanted. His whole plan or part of his plan was to get control of a body that he could inhabit, he could direct, he could control. Paul brings this out in, in, in Romans chapter 7, 18, where he's explaining the fact of what God's plan is. He says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. I get up every morning and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be, you know, make all these resolutions of what you're going to do. To will is present with me. I, I got it in my mind what I ought to do. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. This flesh gets the better of us, right? Last week, you all gave me some Cadbury's chocolate. <laughs> that was very bad. Y'all gave me that for my birthday. What kind of present is that? That's like finding the little rubber hammer and hitting me on the knee. You know I'm going to eat it. <laughs> Sister Browning. Yes, she said Satan uses things that we care deeply about. Okay, so he will use things that involve our emotions because that's the easiest way to get us. If it's with the logic, most of us, some of us won't get fooled. But if it's something emotional that we count on or are entangled with, then that's the little spot where he can take the hammer and make us kick our leg. For I know that in me... That is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. See, Paul is explaining why God had to let us die. Because his plan is to do what? Would that be the end of it for us to die? He wants to give us a new body. This body cannot be fixed. That's why he had to allow death. It cannot be fixed because we've already given it over. The Bible says, to whom you yield yourself servants to obey... His servants you are. Don't know about you guys. When we were like seven or eight, we used to play this game, follow the leader. You ever played that? And they would try and do some stupid things to see if you would do it. I remember the guy jumped into this bush. And I jumped into the bush. <laughs> but there was a stake in the middle of the bush. And it went right up into my leg. That was so stupid. But that's what Satan does. You know, he's, he's, he's got this game going and follow the leader. Jesus said, to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servant you become. And so Paul here is explaining the reason why God had to decide that this body could not be redeemed. Satan wanted what God had originally created of Adam, which was a Superman body. I'm sure Adam could have won any bodybuilding contest. You know, he probably looked the most... Because remember what I said, God can only create perfection. Same with Eve. I'm sure she was the most beautiful-looking human woman that had ever been... Because God can only create perfection. And that's what Satan wanted. He needed a body, and we'll teach about this another time, because he needed to escape. He, He is, in fact, using the human race as a shield... To escape judgment. 
And so he needed to get a body. But you see what God did? God said, you're not going to get that body. Remember what he told the snake? What he was going to end up with? Dust. Dust. Dust is what you're going to get. And you know what he ha- happens to our bodies when we die? It says dust to dust. So that's the reason why the body had to die. So the reasons they had to leave the garden is for I know, Romans says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. And so what he's saying is from the inner man in my spirit, I serve God. I always get up wanting to do the right thing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be not get mad in traffic. I'm not going to hold my fist up when someone cuts me off. I'm not going to do all of that stuff. For I delight in the law of God in the inner man. In our inner man, if you're here today, it's because you believe God. You believe that what he wants us to do is right. Now, in our flesh, we may not actually perform that. He says, verse 23, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And this is the reason why God had to let them go out of the garden because if they had stayed, then we would have been permanently trapped in these bodies that just can't do right 100% of the time. Maybe some of you are 99.9. I'm not there yet. <laughs> you know, I heard a preacher say, you know, um, you know, they used, to, they used to have this fad with the what would Jesus do? Those bands that said WWJD. And, and, they, and people would say, well, okay, what happens if I hit you? And then he would say, well, remember, Jesus did get a whip. <laughs> and remember, he's not Jesus. We're not Jesus yet. Amen. So I don't know if that would be wise to go there. See, Satan knew this. And so God had to let man leave the garden because this body now could not live forever. But I see another law in my members, warring, warring against the law. That's how temptation works. The thought comes in your mind and you have a little fight. And your flesh wants to do something and you, you, you're trying to go against it. I opened the fridge and there was that present you guys gave me. <laughs> and I shut the fridge a few times, but sometime about the midnight hour. <laughs> Oh my, amen. God's way, remember what our lesson is this week, is about Jesus saying, I am the way. What had happened to earth after this was God's way upon the earth had been corrupted through the flesh. Genesis 11, 6, 11, and the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. That's chapter 6. It only took five chapters to go from Genesis 1.31, which you all know, right? What does Genesis 1.31 say? And the Lord God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was not just good. It was very good. All it took was five chapters of a corrupted flesh to go from God looking at his creation, this perfection that he had made, to the point in Genesis 6 where it says also, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. 
And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way. Remember what we're talking about this week, that Jesus said, I am the way. His way, his plan had been corrupted. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And of course, he was talking about Satan's plan and the the Nephilim and all of that. We'll get into that another time. Because it says, behold, the earth is full of violence through them. Who is them? We'll get into that another time. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So that was reason one that they had to leave the garden was that the flesh now could not be saved. And it took me a long time to get that. Once I got that, I I began not to fear death because that's actually part of God's plan. Now, I don't want to go because I don't want to leave my family. But personally, if you're a Christian and you're filled with his spirit, you should not fear death because to be absent from the body, what did Paul say? Is to be present with Christ. You see, we don't die per se, we change. He gives us, he's going to give us a new body. And that was his whole plan. So now the second reason they had to leave was even apart from that, they were still going to die because they had lost the one thing that allows you into God's presence. They were now spiritually naked. You see, when God created us, he created us a three-part being, a spirit, a body, and a soul. In Genesis chapter 1, what we're, what we're seeing in chapter 127 is the creation of the spirit. Because in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. Siri needs to shut up right here. I triggered Siri. <laughs> anyway, what was I saying? I was saying in Genesis chapter 1, what we're seeing is being made in his image and his likeness. Now, what is God at his most basic? A spirit. So what was being formed in Genesis 1 was our spirit man, our soul in other words. Genesis 2 uses a completely different word. He says, and God formed man from the dust of the earth. In Genesis 1, it's created. He created the spirit. He formed the body. And he then breathed into his nostrils, his breath, and combined them into a living soul. Man became a living soul. That means we were a body with our soul covered with his spirit. That's what makes you a son of God, is when you're covered with God's spirit. And that's what allows you into God's presence. So Satan was, was, was partially right. He said, you're, you're not going to die. What would have happened is they would have surely died. Both their spirit covering, which did die, then their body was going to die, and then eventually the soul in hell. But God was so merciful that he kicked them out the garden so that they didn't die instantly. Now they lived a long time before death finally came. But they would have died that very day if they'd stayed in the garden because they had lost the spirit covering. Exodus 33.20, let me give you some scripture. I always say, don't believe what the preacher says unless he can show you scripture. And he said, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. That word there, man, is speaking of 
Adama means earthly man, someone without a spirit covering. You can't see God in your flesh and live because perfection cannot exist in the same place as imperfection. So the moment you come before God imperfect without a covering, you would die. They had to leave God's presence or else they would die. Deuteronomy 4.12 says, And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. He heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. That means you couldn't see him. What What these scriptures are talking about is the time when Moses said he wanted to see God. God said, you can't see my face and live because you got no covering. Moses was determined. He wanted to see who it was he had been speaking to. And God said, you know what? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. In other words, God was going to give him a covering because that's the only way you can see God. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that that rock was who? The rock that followed them in the wilderness was Christ. Remember what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He put him in the rock. It was only in the cleft of the rock that Moses could safely just see the the hinder part of God. And all of the time that they spoke, they never saw God directly because man had lost that spirit covering. John 1, 18 backs that up. It says, no man that is body and soul, hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Only through Jesus can we come to the Father. That's what He's saying. I am the way. So God had to kick Him out of the garden because, because they had lost the covering, the spirit covering that made them part of the, the body, they would die. I've used this illustration before, but your body is made up of a hundred trillion cells. How does the body know when an infection gets in there? It's because the covering on that cell that gets in that bacteria is different. Every one of your cells has a covering on it. And that covering makes it unique to the body. So when your uh, um, infection-fighting blood cells find that cell, they They feel the covering and they say, okay, this is part of the body. And it leaves it alone. But if it finds something that doesn't have the covering, you know what it does? It destroys it. It's taken to the the hell part of the body, which is called the lymph nodes. And it's destroyed. That's what happens. That's what God, when he created the universe and he set up all those laws, those laws of perfection were there to make sure that there was nothing that didn't have a covering that could come before God. And that's why even the angels have to have a covering to come before God. In his vision in Isaiah chapter 6, when um, Isaiah saw a vision of heaven, he described these beings that he saw. And he says that he saw the seraphim. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above him were the seraphims. And with twain they covered their face. With twain they covered their feet. And with twain they did fly. Even the angels cannot come before God without a covering. Isaiah 30 verse 1 explains, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel but not of me, and that cover with a covering 
but not of my spirit. That's why we have to be born again. That's why we have to receive God's spirit. It's that third part coming back that makes us again what? A son of God. That's what makes us a son of... That allows us back into God's presence because now we're part of the body. But without that covering, Isaiah says, we're rebellious. First thing that Adam and Eve did when they lost the spirit covering was what? They realized something had changed. So they tried to do what? They made a covering. They realized suddenly something's happened. Something's happened. Before that, the Bible said they were naked and not ashamed. Why? Because they were covered with this glory. I I firmly believe if you'd seen Adam and Eve, you actually couldn't see Adam and Eve. All you'd have saw was what Jesus showed you on the Mount of Transfiguration, where the body said his raiment became as white as snow. And he was so bright to look upon that they couldn't. That's what Adam and Eve were covered with, the glory of God. Suddenly that was gone because of their sin, And the Bible said now they knew that they were naked. So what did they do? They made fig leaves. They made fig leaves. But the fig leaves could only cover the body, could not cover the soul. So they still hid because they still felt bad. They still had this guilt. If what they had done was good enough, they wouldn't have been hiding. They would not have been hiding. But what their covering was, was not good enough. Remember what God had to do to even preserve their life a little bit? The Bible said he made coats of skins and covered them. That was a temporary thing that God did not want to do, but was the only choice he had in the circumstance. In other words, an animal died. There was a sacrifice of an animal in order to temporarily preserve Adam and Eve until they could get out the garden. He had to give them a covering that not only covered the outside, but covered the inside. What was the part that covered the inside? It's implied. It's not explicit. Blood. When you kill an animal and you take the skin, there is going to be blood. It's given in Leviticus, and we're going to get to where he said, I've given you the blood as an atonement, an atonement. In other words, in the Hebrew, the actual word is a covering, kafar. It means a covering. And so that was what was needed to cover the guilt, the inside, the soul, temporarily. It was not what God wanted to do. That's why there were animal sacrifices, because man needed something, not just for the outside, but at the point of death. When this body did turn to dust, what's left? Your soul. And your soul could not inhabit the physical creation. It had to go to this place called the grave. And in the grave... It needed a covering, and that was the purpose of the blood. When an animal sacrificed its blood, the blood was sprinkled on the earth, really not for the time that you did the sin, but for the time of your death. But the point I'm making, the reason, the other reason they had to leave the garden was they needed a covering. Here is the scripture in Isaiah where Isaiah sees that even the angels have a covering. Even Lucifer had a covering. It says so. Thy covering was all these jewels. He describes the, the covering that, that Satan had before he sinned. And above it stood the seraphims, and each one had six wings. And twain he covered his face, and with twain he did fly, and with twain, sorry, covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Now, usually, I'm just telling you, angels actually don't need wings to fly. Every time they're actually seen, 
They don't have wings. Because the wings are not actually literal. They're symbolic of a covering. In, in, in uh, Psalms 91, it says, under his wings. God, is, God doesn't have wings. It's talking about a covering. The Hebrew for that word, kanaf, also means a covering. So what it's showing is that without a covering, we cannot come into God's presence. So the reason they had to leave the garden was that they would die just being in God's presence. In fact, this theme goes all the way through to our present day. In Revelation, when he's talking to the Laodicean church, he tells them, you're rich, you're increased in goods, but you're actually naked. It's not meaning physically, it's meaning spiritually. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. It goes on to say, I counsel thee to buy of me clothes tried in the fire. It's speaking spiritually. We have to be covered. So the way was now blocked. God had to put a guard at the entrance to the garden because if they came back, one, they would die. Secondly, they might be trapped. We would be trapped forever in these bodies in which we don't fully control. Genesis 3.24, so he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims. The word cherub means mighty guardian, some angelic being, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way. Remember what we're talking about. The angels were put there to keep the way to the tree of life. They were there to stop man's access. They were there now to also find a way to lead us back. This was the start of the angelic rulership of earth. Hebrews 2.2 tells us that. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Because God could not deal directly with man anymore, face to face, he allowed the angelic mediation, the angelic control of the earth. That's what this is telling us. From that point on, until Jesus died, that's why in the Old Testament, nearly everything, every message comes, which way? What does it say? The angel of the Lord said to this one, the angel of the Lord. Why? Because now the earth was under angelic mediation. And we have so many scriptures to show that. In the case of Nebuchadnezzar, when he sinned, the decree and the judgment was given by angels. Genesis 4.13 And I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, hew down the tree. It's the angel giving the judgment here. Cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nebuchadnezzar had been warned about his pride, about claiming glory. And he'd been given this dream of what would happen if he kept on doing it. But one day, he came out on his balcony and he looked at this huge, impressive city of Babylon. And he folded his hand and said, hmm, look at this great city that I have built. The moment that he said so, judgment was given. 
Now verse 17 is interesting. This matter is by the decree of the watchers. That's another name for the guardians. And the demand by the word of which the holy ones. God allowed the angelic mediation or control of the earth to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. That's what it goes on to say. So God designated and allowed the angel angelic rule. But of course, they too messed up and started to have worship directly for themselves. That's where you get all these nations, ancient nations, worshiping created beings. In fact, Romans tells us that, that they that they worship the creature rather than the creator. But God decided he would choose a people to try and bring man back to the way. And he chose Abraham and his seed to create a nation out of nothing. And once the nation had been born in the land of Egypt, when they were coming out, he, de- he told them that he was going to put an angel in charge of them. Let's read it. Exodus twenty three twenty. Now this scripture is key to understanding the Old Testament. It really is. Behold, I send an angel before thee. To do what? To keep thee. Well, that's what we're talking about. To keep thee in the way. And to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Verse 21, and I've quoted this so many times, it's kind of strange. God is warning Israel. Beware of him. Obey his voice. That means the angel had the authority to give commands. He was going to tell Israel what to do. Obey his voice, provoke him not. See, because he was an angel, he could give commands, but he could not change the law. All he could do was execute judgment. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. This one verse explains a lot of the Old Testament where people don't understand why the Old Testament is so harsh, where people are executed for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Well, the reason is they weren't dealing with God. They were dealing with this angel. In fact, that's what Hebrews says. But if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, right? There was no, there was no mercy. As I said, a policeman is really not supposed to let you off. His job is to do what? Enforce the law. Now, occasionally they may just give you a warning, but technically he has no authority to do that. The angel had no authority to show mercy. And so what you find in the Old Testament is anytime it was the angel, judgment was very severe. Anytime someone could appeal to God directly, they found mercy. David is a great example, right? Under the law, he should have been killed a bunch of times. He committed first adultery, then he committed murder, and yet he found mercy. You know why? Because he knew to bypass the angel. If it had been up to the angel, he was going to die. In fact, the last time he messed up and he numbered Israel, God gave him a choice. You can, you can have judgment under your, the hands of your enemies, or you can have judgment under my hand. David was very smart. He said, you know what, if I, if I go, if I let my enemies give me punishment, I'm in big trouble. But maybe, maybe if I go to God, I will find mercy. And that's exactly what happened. The angel was sent to, to give out the, the punishment. And David appealed to God and God told the angel of the Lord, stay your hand, stop. 
But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, that I will be an enemy unto thine enemies. Wouldn't it be great if God fights for us? That's what he's saying. When you obey him, you don't really have to go on a revenge binge. Because God will fight for you. He says, your enemy will be my enemy. But here is the key. He set this angel to lead them in the way. Verse 23. For mine angel shall go before thee and bring thee into, unto the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hervites, seven nations. And of course, probably this angel is actually Michael. Because we, we know that from Daniel. We'll, we'll go on. So God set up these angelic mediators to try and bring first Israel and through Israel the world back into the right way. That's what he said explicitly. I will send my angel, verse 20, to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place where I have prepared. But of course, as I said, the angels messed up. If you want to go and read Psalms 82, you will see that. Galatians 3.19, Paul is explaining the fact that we were under, they were under angelic mediators. Even the law was actually given on Mount Sinai through angels, if you read it in Psalm 68. Wherefore then serveth the law? He's, He's explaining the difference between grace and the law. He said it was added because of transgressions till the seed, singular meaning Jesus, should come to whom the promise was made. What promise? Where? What's the very first prophecy in the Bible? That's right. Genesis 3.15. And unto the serpent he said, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. That was the promise. In other words, the law was there. The angelic mediation was going to be there. Until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. But until that time it was ordained, what does it say? By angels. They were the executors of the law. They were the ones that brought the punishment in the hand of the mediator. But as I said, even the angels failed. Job 4.18 Behold, he put no trust in his servants. His angels he charged with folly, in other words, with error. Because they too started to take worship. And so the angelic mediators failed. In Ezekiel 36, he says, I sought for a man to stand in the gap and I found none. So he had to come himself. He had to come himself. Even on Mount Sinai, you see the fact that the way was not open. God could only choose certain people. They had to go through all this process of sanctification, of purification before they could even come close to God. When Israel finally came to Mount Sinai, let me read it, what happened. Then the Lord told Moses, go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord or they will die. Even the priests, even the priests who regularly come near the Lord must purify themselves so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. And this is not God doing anything. It's just his presence. He doesn't have to do anything. It's just his presence. He's not trying to kill people, but they can't come into his presence. So the Lord does not break out and destroy them. But the Lord, Moses protested, the people cannot come up the Mount Sinai. You already warned us. You told me, mark off a boundary. 
God had told Moses to put a rope around the mountain and set a place where the people shouldn't come any closer because if they do, they were going to die. But the Lord said, go down and bring Aaron back up with you. In the meantime, do not let the people, the priests or the people break through to approach the Lord or he will break out and destroy them. Again, I'm showing in the Old Testament, the way was still not open. God was trying to do a process to bring people back to him, to find a way to give them back that covering that they needed. But people were still far from being able to come. Only only the priests could enter the tabernacle. And then only the high priest could enter the next stage, the Holy of Holies, and that only once in a year. Who would have wanted to be high priest? You know that once a year, you're going to have to go in there, and if you weren't accepted, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to drop down dead. Let's read about it. God told them this procedure that once a year, on the Day of Atonement, you were to get two goats, two kids of a goat. Now, this whole atonement ceremony is a metaphor for God's eventual plan to fix the sin problem. This is his plan, and he was showing Israel through this ceremony that probably they didn't understand fully. But he told them to get two goats. Why two goats? What did they represent? The body and the soul. Remember now, once Adam sinned, he lost that third component, the spirit covering. So now we are just sons of men, body and soul. The two goats in the atonement ceremony, that's what they represent. They were told to get two goats. and The high priest was to lay his hand on one of them and declare all the sins over the head of the one goat. In other words, that's another reason why the flesh has to die. Because it's the flesh that has the sins. So he was to lay his hands on the top of the goat and declare all of the sins of the people on the one goat. Then they were to take that goat as far away as possible. You never want them sins coming back into camp. So they were led away by the hand of a strong man. All of this was, of course, um, Mirrored by Jesus, of course, because he became that goat. He became, he who knew no sin, became sin. When the high priest said that it's better that one man should die for the sins of the nation, than our whole, he, the Bible says he was forced to say that under the Holy Spirit because what he was doing was declaring Jesus the scapegoat. So that at his death, we could be saved. On that one day, that, that goat represented the whole sins of Israel. And they would take it as far as they could out into the desert, as far away from the camp. So that left the other goat. That other goat represented the soul. See, at our death, what's left? The body goes to the dust. And the soul, the Bible says, returns to the one who gave it. Now, the reason that is, if you have been doing what you're supposed to do, is that he can give it a new glorious body. So we see in the atonement ceremony, this whole thing model. The high priest declares the sin offering on the live goat, and he's taken away. The other goat is killed. 
representing the, the soul. And it's only at that point, on that day, does the high priest go all the way in to the Ark of the Covenant. And he shall take two goats and present them before the Lord. I'm talking about the fact that the way was still not open. Only one man could do this. Everybody else had to stay outside. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats. And one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement, an atonement, a covering with him and let go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil. That was the first time he was allowed to go behind the veil. Now what was on the veil? You all know this. Cherubims, they represented the guardianship blocking the way. That was the only time he was allowed to go behind the veil with the blood. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it before the mercy seat. At that time, the whole temple tabernacle had to be completely empty. No priest, no, only the high priest. And of course, this is mirrored in Jesus. Because the Bible says he entered in once with his own blood. He went before us. That's why when he arose, he told Mary, can't touch me yet. Because I have not yet, he had not yet at that point fulfilled the role of high priest. He had not taken the blood. He had arisen, but he had not ascended. Verse 17, there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation. They had to tie a rope and he had to have these pomegranate bells on his garment because if he died, nobody could go in there else they died too. I don't think you'd want to be the high priest. That's a risky proposition. Because <laughs> your life is dependent on everybody doing the right thing. And until he come out and made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. What we're seeing in Revelation starting at chapter 4 is the real atonement ceremony. That's what Revelation is describing. Remember John sees the lamb slain. What you're seeing in Revelation, we will get to witness. We get to witness the final atonement ceremony. That's what Revelation is showing. You know, people haven't really understood that because there's some differences with the atonement ceremony in Leviticus. And the reason is, before he started the goat ceremony, the priest had to do a ceremony just for himself. He had to slay the bullock and go through this thing because he himself was just a man. Jesus didn't have to do that. He who knew no sin became sin. And so this was the, the ceremony. But still, with all of this, it only made them perfect until that first person in the crowd outside thought some thought or the next day someone stole something. Then they had to wait the whole next year. The way still was not open. 
the writer of Hebrews explains all of this. And I put it in a modern translation. The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth because it was a model of the heavenly. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand and a table and the sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Revelation starts off with the ceremony. We see Jesus standing where? In Revelation, as John gets his vision, where is Jesus? He sees Jesus standing where? Where is he standing amidst? He's standing with the seven candlesticks. Okay, so that means he's in that first room. The ceremony is about to begin. But we see the candlesticks. We hear about the golden altar, but we don't see the bread. Why? Because he is the bread. I am that bread that came down. See, all those things in the Old Testament were just symbols and models for the real. But when Jesus came, he began to fulfill all of those himself. So in Revelation, when John sees his vision, he is seeing the atonement ceremony. And it starts off with Jesus standing amongst the candlesticks, which the revelation is, they are the churches. Ye are a light set on a hill. And then, of course, chapter 4 signals the rapture, and we don't hear about the churches anymore because I heard a voice, as it were, in heaven saying, come up hither, and a door opened in heaven. And then the atonement ceremony begins. And I saw one sat upon the throne with a scroll. And then in the midst of the throne where the one was sitting was the lamb, slain, which had seven horns and seven eyes. And I wept because no one was found worthy. The elder came and said, don't wait, weep, John, because behold, the lion of the tri- tribe of Judah hath prevailed. In Hebrews here is explaining why all of that still wasn't the way. It says there were two rooms. It goes to describe everything. Then there was a curtain. Behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant. Now in heaven there isn't a curtain. What is there? What does the curtain represent? The angels. On earth they couldn't have angels so God told them make this curtain put angels on it. And so it represented the mediation. The way was blocked. Remember, he put cherubims to guard the way back into the garden, guard the way back into his presence. And so in that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the ark was a gold jar containing the manna, Aaron's staff. Anyone know? What wood that was made of? Almond. Almond. We'll whole Bible study on that another time. Aaron's stuff that sprouted with leaves and the stone tablets of the covenant. Again, the way was not manifest because they did that for hundreds, thousands of years. Every year doing this atonement ceremony. One man going behind the curtain. Hebrews explains 
why this was so. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost signifying or showing that the way, remember what we're talking about today? Jesus said, I am the way. That the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest because all of these were temporary coverings. The blood could not cover permanently. The Bible says the blood of bulls and goats could not forever do away with sin. It it, it made you perfect on that one day. When the high priest came out, and he was allowed at that time to say the name of God. He would, he would hold up the sign of the, of the shin, which was the representation for the name of God. And the two million Israelites gathered around would shout and worship because at that instant they knew that they were perfect. God had accepted the sacrifice. So for an instant, for one day, they were perfect. They were Sinless until the flesh because it was not permanent. The next day somebody looked at some woman. Somebody looked at some, somebody's donkey and said, I, that should be mine. It didn't last very long. Shall I tell you what the difference is? Shall you tell you why we can be perfect? It's because our day of atonement started with the cross and hasn't finished. It's going to conclude in Revelation. We are still in the day of atonement. His name, if you have been baptized, has been pronounced over you. His spirit has come and provided the covering. Isn't that awesome? That's why we can come, I'm getting ahead of the lesson, boldly to a throne of grace. But right now, when all of that stuff was going on hundreds of years, every year, this same thing, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. It was not, the Jews didn't understand why. All they knew is that they were told to do these ceremonies and they were given some kind of explanation. But the true reality of what it meant and why it was for was not clear to them. The way was not manifest. That that word in the Greek, phanero, means to make plain. They didn't understand it. But they, God did that because it was the best way for them to remember. You know, once you've practiced something, a ceremony, it's different from reading it in a book. You can read it, but when you do it, it stays with you. But then finally, Jesus came. And I tell you when that angelic mediation finished, it's when he said, it is finished. That's when he fulfilled that first statement when he said, I am the way. First thing that happened when he said that, when he said it is finished and bowed his head, what was the first thing that happened next? Yeah, there was earthquakes. But something in the temple happened. That veil, which was 70 feet high and weighed a few thousand pounds, they said, ripped in two supernaturally from the top 
to the bottom. If it had from the bottom to the top, someone would said somebody ripped it. But God made it rip from the top. I bet those priests were terrified. They were going to see something that they thought they should not be able to see, else they would die. But what was happening, Jesus had now fulfilled in making the way open. Hebrews 9.11, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, not made of human hands, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once, just like they had modeled for, for hundreds, couple thousand years, they had modeled this. Finally, the way was made open. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And here's one of my favorite verses. Let us therefore come boldly unto throne of grace that we may obtain mercy let's say that together mercy don't know about you but I need mercy I need God's grace I need him to, to, to be in my life all the time see that's why Paul says that this flesh has to die daily because it's still there it still wants out it still wants control but the other scripture when Paul is finished in Romans 7 speaking about how the flesh controls everything, he says, who shall deliver me from this body? The old wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he gives the answer in Romans 8. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus that walk after the spirit and not the flesh, to paraphrase him. You see, this flesh is counted as dead. See, what Jesus did on the cross, it says eternal. That means he's not coming back to deal with any more sin. He's dealt with that already. The way is already open. All we have to do is walk through it. Let us therefore come boldly to a throne of grace, there to obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. See, I told you at the beginning that he placed the guardians so that we could not live forever. But once we get that new bodies, here's what's going to happen. Revelation 2, 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. When that curtain ripped, it meant those cherubims guarding the way back in no longer are blocking the way. They're no longer blocking the way, but the way now is through Jesus. The way now is through Jesus. That's what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man or woman or anybody 
can come to the Father, but through him. Revelation 22, verse 2, in the midst of the street of it and on the side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Blessed are they, verse 14, that do his commandments that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. This lesson today has been explaining what Jesus meant when he said, I am the way. The cherubims blocked the way. But when he came, when he paid the price, when he gave his blood, it was so powerful that the rocks rent. The graves were open. The Bible said many bodies of the saints arose. And the Bible says he led captivity captive. He released all the righteous dead. Now, we're just waiting now for that last part to get the new bodies. The Bible says we shall not die, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that this mortal must put on immortality. This corruption will put on immortality. See, I'm old enough now to start feeling the corruption. I'm getting the aches. I used to wonder about old people. I used to wonder, why are they like walking like this? I, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. Like I couldn't get my head wrapped around it. And now I ache and I haven't worked out. That's really strange. <laughs> but you know what? This mortal is going to put on immortality. Romans 8.20 says, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Sorry, that, that's John. But in Romans 20, it says that we, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain. Waiting. What we're waiting for is the last part now. See, we've got the spirit, so our soul is sealed. We're waiting now for the last part, which is the new bodies. Waiting for the revelation of the children of God. In other words, the sons of God, our new supernatural bodies, which are not subject anymore to Satan. You will be totally in control of that body. He won't be able to hit you anywhere and make you kick your knee out. Unless you want to kick him. <laughs> See, he has made the way. When he said it is finished, that veil, that angelic mediate, that's why in the New Testament, angels are not allowed to preach the gospel. It's no more the, through the, 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 Lord, the angel of the Lord. In fact, the angel had to send, tell Nicodemus to send men to go get Peter and he will tell you. See, we are now sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when he appears, we shall see him as he is and then we are going to be like him. See, the angelic mediation is done with because they were never meant to be in charge. That's why Paul said to the to the uh, church, he said, know ye not that you shall judge angels? Know ye not that you shall judge angels? To which of the angels at any time said he, the son, that's in Hebrews. Do you understand that we were called to be truly his sons and his daughters? Amen. If you could stand with me. Remember this, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. 
I am the way. Whenever you're going through a dark passage, remember, he is the way. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And if you're going to come to the Father, there's only one way. And that is through Jesus. Hallelujah. If you could bow your hearts with me, Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and your grace, for your life that you have given for us, Lord God. That you have been that sacrifice that brings us back, that makes the way. That when you said it is finished, the way was made open, hallelujah, for us to come through. Lord, we ask you right now to bless us. Help us to meditate upon this word. Help us to walk boldly to your throne of grace. Lord, we ask for your presence and anointing in our second service. Let your spirit have liberty to move, to deliver, to touch, to heal. We come against doubt and fear and depression. And we lift up your name and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Let's give God a praise offering this morning.